The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. It's good to see all of you this morning. I'm glad you're here today, worshiping together. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 will be our focus today. If you remember from last week, we had said that Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 really was a section. And so I want to read that again this morning, do a little bit of a recap of last week, and then dive into today's verses. Paul would say in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Last week, I had brought up the point of how there are thinkers and doers and how we're getting to the section of Ephesians where the doers get excited because they're going to be told what to do. And that's what they like to do, is things activities, whatever it might be, checklists. And so we got to that. And last week we focused on some of those things that we are called to do right off the bat. After Paul says all of these uh, glorious things in chapters one through three about what God has done for us, he finally says, now do this. And it all had to center around unity, about us being unified together as the body of Christ, being joined together there. But he says, how do you do this? Well, you walk in a manner that's worthy of this calling. This calling that you have as a Christian, that you are a Christian, that you've been saved by God's grace, walk worthy of that. And so he says you do it, and he, he used words that we just don't like, words that we would push back against, such as humility, humble yourselves. And we, we talked about that, and I don't need to do that now. And he went on to talk about gentleness, patience, bearing with each other. And then he got down towards the end, and he said, and really, maintaining peace, the importance of that, to maintain peace together. And, and we read some other passages like Philippians where it tells us to think of the good things, think of the kind things, to dwell on these things. If there's anything good at all, dwell on these things, speak of these things together. And why? So that you can remain unified and steadfast. That doesn't mean you don't talk about disagreements, that you don't sometimes have those and you have to deal with those, yes, but saying, Focus on these things together. Why? So that you can be unified, so that we can maintain the peace. And so this is the work that we must do. And we do it because of what God has done for us. We see our example in the Lord, who would, in Jesus, who would, in obedience to the Father, give up all things to come here on this earth and to, to die for our sins. We, we see that. He is our example. So this is who we want to be like. We want to be like Christ. And we pray that God would mold us and make us into his image. And we trust that he is as he has saved us. But as we get to verses four and six, as you just heard read, <clears throat> it's as if Paul understands how us doers think. Those of us who want to do, right? It's almost as if he understands how we think because after three verses, it's almost like Paul does this for a second. Hold on. I think you're going to think it's all about you again. Let's pause for a second and remind ourselves where, what we really are unified 
in. Yes, we need to be humble. Yes, we need to be gentle, patient. All these things that he just said, yes, we need to do it. But let's remember where our main unity comes from, where it comes from. Yes, we have work to do, but God is the one who brought us together. It is God who did this work in bringing us together. And so again, this morning, we're gonna see all that God has done. And Paul uses this as a reminder for us to say, this is the source of your unity. This really is where it lies. And Paul uses seven different words to describe what God has done, how God has brought us together. And he uses these words to show us our foundation for our unity within the church. And you'll notice as we get to these words as well, that before each of these words, he usually uses the word one, one, so that we cannot think, well, mine is different than yours or anything like that. No, it is one. And you'll see that as we go through together. And so the first thing that he says in, in verse four is he talks about, we have been brought together one body and one body. Colossians 1, Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians. Colossians 1.18, it says this. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We are all saved in Christ. We are saved by him through grace. And what God does for us through Christ is he says he brings us together as a body, the church, and he has done this work. And so when we are saved, we become this body of Christ. And one of the things that we have to rule out, I know I've said this many times, but yet it is still very prevalent, it seems, within church life, so to quote, is this idea that you can be a Christian without other Christians. That you can live as if this relationship between me and God and Christ is very personal and it's about me. I don't, I don't need all these other people. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a member at a church. I don't need to be faithful to a church. I don't, I don't need to do this because, again, it's, it's one-on-one. It's me and him. It's what he's done for me. I got to tell you, that's a very foreign thing to the Bible. It doesn't exist. It's not, it's not in there. And I've heard this numerous times from, from many people. I've heard it from men who like to hunt. My church is in the woods. What? I've never seen in scripture where it's like, and God saved that deer so that he could be a Christian with you. I don't see that. I don't see where it says, and God created that sunrise so that you could see it and just be in awe of his glory and this is your church. I know we laugh about that, but I honestly hear that quite a bit. I talk to people and they say, well, I have church in my car when I'm singing. I have church when I'm with my family and just enjoying them. Like that, that's how God, that's, that's my, that is my church. And we just don't, we just don't see that in scripture. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. No, it's, we see the opposite. We see what God has done is he has brought us together into the body of Christ. And as we'll see later in Ephesians, and there's other places in scripture where this is evident, that we are a body and that the body is very important, that we have different roles, we have different tasks that we are called to do within the body of Christ, within the church that God has brought us together in. And it is so important then that we are together as the body. Just like I would imagine that if you all of a sudden lost your foot, 
you would really miss your foot. You'd wish you had your foot. Well, I know this isn't the perfect analogy, but it's the same as we gather together. When we miss each other, we miss each other. Why? Because we need each other. We need each other. We have to have each other. And God has established this for us. He's brought us together in Christ as part of the body. And so we can't be thinking, well, nobody at church misses me or nobody's going to notice if I'm gone. And that's a danger as churches get bigger. And you could be right. Yeah, people can slip in and slip out without people noticing. But it is missed. If you're a part of the body of Christ, it is, it, you are missed when you are not here because you are needed. And God is the one who has brought you here. Not, t- not Tim, not anybody else. It's, it's God who has formed us together as the body. In Ephesians 5, uh, we'll get there later, but in Ephesians 5, Paul begins to talk about a very popular passage that I'm sure many of you have heard uh, when it comes to marriage. And so in Ephesians 5, uh, beginning in like verse 22, he starts talking about husbands and wives, and you hear this read at, you hear this read at uh, weddings and, and different places, and it's taught on in family series and stuff. But as he goes through this, towards the end, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 28 through 32, notice what Paul says. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, something that I very rarely have to get across to people, and many of you as you sit here today, you are married, and maybe you're even here with your spouse. I wouldn't have to go a long way to convince you that within your marriage, there should be intimacy. That you guys should have a relationship that is very intimate and loving right? And there is gentleness and there is humility. You bear with one another and you do that. Why? Because you love each other and you care for each other and you want to be united. You want to be unified. You know that. You would even appeal to scripture to say, scripture says we should do that. And it tells us that in Ephesians 5. I wouldn't have to go a long way to convince you of that. Now you might say it's difficult. You might say there was very trying times, but you, I believe you would also say it's worth it. Because when you have a relationship that is very intimate, it's very special having that. But it's interesting because when we get to the end of that passage, Paul says, I know this is mysterious and you think I'm just sitting here talking about marriage. I'm actually talking about the church. But see, it's hard for me to convince you that the relationship that we should have as the body of Christ should be an intimate relationship where we love each other and we care for each other And we are united to Christ, our Savior, who is the head over us, who loves us, who gave himself for us. And we submit to him, we serve him, and we love him, and we do that together as one body. Yet it's so hard to convince people of that. Why is that? Well, sin is the answer to that. Sin. We we struggle with that. But yet this is something that we are called to do. Paul is reminding us here, yes, be patient, do all this. But remember this, first and foremost, you did not enter this body on your own. I brought you in. God brought you in. Jesus brought you in by his blood into this body. 
And so then you are united as a body. But Paul goes on there because he says not just one body, but also one spirit. There is one body and one spirit, he would say. Now, we have to be careful because what Paul is not referring to here, Paul is not referring to some unified action or some unified heart that we have in what we are doing. And like, we're just excited about some cause and it is this cause that unites us to be together. You know, there's, there's tons of causes throughout Monroe County of which I am asked to be a part of all the time. You know, will you be a part of this call to raise money for cancer? Will you be a part of this to help the homeless? Will you be a part of this? There's all kinds of causes and there's all kinds of great things to be a part of and then that people will come and unify themselves together to be a part of this cause to try to help something. That's fine. I'm not speaking against that at all. But that is not what brings us together here today. It's not some cause It's nothing like that. What Paul is saying is you have been brought here together in one spirit and that spirit in your Bible should be capitalized, a capital S, because it's referring to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that unifies us. It is the Holy Spirit that has brought us together. It is the Holy Spirit that works within us as believers, yes, as individuals, but also together. As we work together serving God, it's the Holy Spirit who works through us so that the work can actually be effective, can actually be useful. We're told all throughout the scriptures that the Spirit dwells within us as believers. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are the temple. Now think about that. This is a scary verse for those who like to cause dissension within the body of Christ all the time. Because the body of Christ is God's temple and it says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Again, we are supposed to be saying unified, right? Doing this through humility, gentleness, But it's the spirit that works inside of us, that dwells in us, that enables us to even be able to do these things. Romans chapter eight, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, I don't want us to minimize the work of the spirit in the life of the church and to push the work of the spirit away. The work that the spirit has done has brought us together in salvation, has redeemed us. And and earlier, Paul said in Ephesians, it is the Holy Spirit that guarantees our hope, that guarantees our inheritance that we have together, that guarantees our salvation. We are brought together under this one spirit. And so the same spirit that is within me that has saved me is the exact same spirit that has saved you. There's no special. I know people say this and I know some churches hold to this. There's there's no special Holy Spirit that you're given that I'm not. There's no special amount that you get and I don't get. There's no amount of faith that you can have that's going to give you more spirit, more spirit. No, the Bible is very clear. When God saves us by his grace, you get all the spirit, and so do I. 
And it unifies us because we understand that we are in him. Paul continues on after one spirit. And he says, not just there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One of the things we have to remember is when we talk about hope in scripture, it's not the same type of hope that the world often talks about. When we talk about hope in the world, it's a wish or a prayer, like a, you know, just like, ah, maybe, maybe this will happen. But this isn't how, this isn't how scripture speaks of hope. Our hope that Paul is mentioning here is a sure hope. It's a guaranteed hope. Why? Because it's secured with the spirit. It's guaranteed. It's hundred percent. It's unwavering. There is no doubt. This hope comes from the fact, again, that we have the Holy Spirit living and working inside of us. We know, we know together that we will spend eternity together with Christ, with God in glory. Why? Because he's promised us it and he's given us the Holy Spirit and this is where our hope lies. I think this gets confusing for people, honestly, when they come to Christian funerals. Because when, you, when you're burying a, a beloved a sister or brother in the Lord, and we start talking about hope, you know, and you have, you have lost people in the room, people who might, it almost sounds like we are just wishing, you know? Yeah, I hope one day to see him again. I hope we'll all be there. Their hope was in the Lord, you know, and so, well, 50-50. I think that's what, I think that's what they hear. I think that's what non-Christians, how they understand it. And I think sometimes that can creep into our understanding, but we have to rest assured there is only one hope and has been given to us through our one Lord. And that's the next word that Paul uses. One spirit, one hope, one Lord. Because Paul now addresses our oneness in Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the only Lord of all. And this is something that we stand on. This is something that we see all in scripture again. And by this, by saying Jesus is our Lord, what we are declaring, what we are saying is Jesus is our absolute authority. He is our authority. He is our ruler. And nobody else, no other thing can take this from him. This is his rightful throne in our life as Lord and Savior. And now there's work for us to do in this, I believe, because oftentimes we try to put other things on the throne or we allow other things to slip in there. That's why I say person or thing, because sometimes we allow something to become our Lord. It's what we think about all the time. It's our goal to get there, to do this or to have this. It becomes our main center focus to where all the things seem to fade away. We're just focused on this one thing in our life and it can easily become Lord of our life. But yet as Christians, we have declared, as those saved by God's grace, we have declared, Christ, you are my Lord. You alone. And when we're saying that, when you say that, you are saying you have absolute authority in my life, in every area. So when you reveal sin in my life, I'm gonna deal with it because you are ruler. When you have a desire for me to do this or whatever it may be, Lord, I will do that. The Bible tells us that when Jesus conquered death, he rose from the grave and, and yes, he spent some time on earth, but then it says in Acts that they watched as Jesus ascended into heaven. 
And he did that to take his rightful place on the throne. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 13, it says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Later in the book of Revelations, chapter 17, verse 14, it says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Who's Revelation talking about there? The called, chosen, and faithful. It's the church. It's the church. It's those who've been saved by his grace. That's, that's who it is. They are following their Lord wherever he leads, wherever he may go. And so we serve him as the Lord who is willing to die for us. And you think about that. Our Lord is also our savior. I know we use these words a lot, but we can't, we can't start washing the meaning of that stuff away and let it just become something we hear. Just like as a kid, you know, singing the song, Jesus loves me, and Jesus loves me. Okay, I get it. Gosh, we've sing this every time in children's church. I'm sick of it. But it's saying something actually pretty incredible. Jesus loves me. Well, it's the same with these words that we're using today. Our Lord our absolute sovereign reigning Lord, absolute authority is also your savior, the one who died for you. Why would that happen? Why would the one with absolute authority and power die for you? Well, the Bible tells us one reason he did that was to unite us together in him so we could be united. That's something for us to think about when we want to just argue when we want to get angry at somebody within the church for whatever it might be. They didn't say hi to me. I know they saw me at the grocery store and they just passed on by. I know they saw me in the car. I know they saw me at the game. Whatever it might be, we want to get angry over these things and it's like we forget. We are united by the same Lord who's also our Savior. Which brings us to the next one, his faith. Paul says there is one faith. This faith here, no doubt, refers to the first three chapters of Ephesians, of what Paul has already talked about. Our faith is in the truth of God's word, who he is and what he has done for us. And you can go back and read Ephesians 1 through 3 to see all of that. Our faith together is in Jesus. And we remember what Jesus said. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. There is no other way. This is a troubling phrase for our world forever, but even right now. It's a troubling phrase for us to take that stand. Our way is the right way because it's Jesus's way. He is the truth. He is the life. Nobody goes to the Father except through him. This is what our faith is is in. It's what it lies in, in the person of Jesus. In Galatians chapter one, verse 22 through 24, it says, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. 
this faith that all of a sudden was changed in Paul. Oh, he worshiped the God of Abraham. But what Paul is saying there in Galatians is my faith was wrong. My faith was in the wrong thing because my faith had to be found in Christ. And if it wasn't for Christ intervening in Paul's life, that wouldn't have happened. But this is the faith that Paul is talking about. Is it, a, it is a faith that is only found in Jesus. And I want us to notice it's not a blind faith. It is not a blind faith. I feel I was taught this sometimes growing up. Tim, I know you don't understand, but just you just by faith, you go and do it. And it always seemed so ridiculous to me. I struggled with it greatly. You, I, would, I would think, you would not tell me that in any other part of my life. When I'm driving this car, I don't know what's ahead. Yeah, just do it. Faith. Just faith. Go through with it. And we're talking about something really important here. You are talking about eternity. And it's supposed to be blind. Again, I think the Bible teaches us something different. I, I think the Bible teaches that our faith actually is a very educated faith given to us by the Lord, who's given us his word. We have, we have his word and we get to know who God is. In Psalm 119, verse 18, this is what the psalmist says. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Not give me faith to be blind and just walk aimlessly. Well, whenever we talk about someone coming to know the Lord, what do we say? God has opened his eyes to the truth. He sees, he knows, he now understands and God has saved him. This is the faith that is talked about in scripture. This is the faith that Paul is referencing here. We pray for the blind eyes to be opened. Why? So that they can have faith, have faith. And now I was reading in one of the commentaries, I can't remember. If I were to go around the room and talk to each of you and say, all right, raise your hand if you're a Christian and you raise your hand. And we had the time to go to each of you with a microphone and you are willing to say how you came to faith in the Lord. I would guess we'd have quite a, quite a variety. I was saved when I was seven. I was saved when I was 77. I, I was over here in this country or I was in this state or I was at church. Oh, I wasn't at church. I was at, I was at home. And you guys would have all these different stories. Everybody has a kind of a different, a different testimony. But what's important is all of those testimonies, though they're very wide, eventually get down to the very exact same point to say the same thing. By faith, I trusted in Jesus Christ. If your testimony does not say that, then you are not part of this body. The, the stuff that's being talked about here, you do not have one body, one spirit, one faith, one hope. It, it, that's, that's not yours then. Because we are all united together in our Lord by faith that he is who he says he is, that he has done what he says he has done. Well, Paul goes on after one faith and he says one baptism. Baptism is often a very divisive topic in the life of churches, but Paul here says it's a unifier. He says our baptism is actually something that brings us together. Why? It's because we are all baptized in the same way as in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. 
When we receive our baptism, this is what is said, this is what is done, this is what is understood. We, we do this, this baptism, understanding. We understand God has called me, what? To be a part of his body. That is what is happening. This, this baptistry up here is not some personal place where you get to go and get dunked. This, this baptism up here is a very communal thing. It's something we get to be a part of together. It's a place where we are joined together. Galatians chapter three, verse 27 to 29, Paul says this. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. It's interesting that Paul includes in that baptism, right? Baptism is something that is very important that God speaks for us to be doing. And it's not something that can be taken lightly. Sometimes it is taken lightly, but it shouldn't be taken lightly. Because when we enter those waters, we are saying that God has done something very miraculous in our life, that he has taken a dead soul and given it life. He has he he taken somebody who could only produce filthy rags and has given them righteousness. Why? So that they could be part of the body of Christ together. Together. This is one of the reasons that we like to baptize people in front of everybody. We've had requests before. Can you just come to our house and baptize us in the pool? No, because it's not about you. It's about all of us. You are part of us. And we all need to be together as we do this together. Now, some of you here this morning, uh, maybe you need to be baptized. You know you've been saved by God's grace. You've trusted in him, but you've never followed the Lord in baptism. And that's a problem. The Bible, all throughout it, is always putting the two together. Saved by God's grace, baptized. Saved by God's grace, baptized. It's, it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. You say, yeah, but I, I know I'm good. I, I, if, I'm, if I die, I go to heaven. I don't really need baptism. Selfishness. That's the word. Pride. That's the word. Because God clearly states, you are baptized as a believer. This is what happens. And it's amazing. We can turn that water on any day. And it, so far, it's worked. Every time we've turned it on. Now, taking that covering off is a pain, but we'll do it. Because... We believe this is something you should do if you've been saved by God's grace. And we are united in one baptism, Paul says. Well, then lastly, Paul wraps it up by saying in verse six, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What is it that unites us? We have one God together. And this one God, Paul says, number one is over all. He is our father for all of us. He is actively over each and every one of us and he is actively loving each of us together as his children. But not only is he over all, the Bible says there he is through all. Our father works in us and through us. As we work together, he works through us and we have this privilege of being able to serve him of being able to honor him. Have you ever had a job in your life, honestly, when you left, you thought a monkey could do this job? I don't even know why I'm doing this job. 
or you got done with it. Maybe you were a kid and your dad made you do some work and you get done and you're like, what in the world was that for? I see no point to this. I don't understand it. I don't get it. This was a complete waste of my time. Like maybe you feel like that every day when you go to work. I have no idea. I have no idea. But I think we've all been there before. We have this work and we're just like, I don't, I don't know if this is worth my time and my effort. Or maybe you think I'm better than this. Like I know I can do more, whatever it might be. You have these feelings. That shouldn't be so as we work together as the body of Christ. Because as we work within the life of the church, we are doing it for God. And the Bible tells us that God is through all. He is working through us so that whatever work is done, there's a point to it. You know, there, there's a point to it. It's not, it's not minimal. It's not unnecessary. It is needed and it is glorifying God as we work faithfully in those things. That doesn't say that. Overall, through all, and in all, as we've already went over. We know that God lives inside of us. We are his dwelling place. You remember Ephesians chapter two, verse 22, where Paul would write, he says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. In us all. So what is it that unites us? Yes, we're humble, gentle. We try to do these things. But the problem is most of you probably left last week like I did and you thought, this will never work. We'll never be unified because nobody knows how to do all these things. Nobody knows how to be humble. Nobody seems to know how to put others before themselves. Nope, nobody understands any of this. I mean, honestly, after last week, I got down and I even said some things about church. Like, if you have anything bad to say about the service, just keep it to yourself. Do you know what people did after church? I had a couple people tell me what was bad about the service. Like, did you not hear what I said? I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear from you, but yet you're doing it anyways. All right, this is going to fail. We're going down. But thankfully, Paul understands that. Thankfully, God led Paul then to write verses four through six to almost say, listen, to you doers who you think that way, it's not all on you. What unites us, what unites us is we have one spirit, one Lord, one father. And what we see here very clearly is the Trinity. We see the doctrine of the Trinity unfolding before our eyes. We serve one God, three distinct persons. And so maybe you've heard this said before. Maybe you wondered why this is so important in the life of the church. But, and maybe you thought, you know, I don't, I don't understand why we have to talk about that. But one of the reasons that the Trinity is so important is because this is how the whole church flows. There is no body without it. And we see that here as Paul has said. Right? It's, a, it's the work of the, the spirit that brings us in the body. It's because of the Lord that we have one one faith, one baptism. And it's because of God here, right? One God together. And so the love of the church family, the unity of the church family that we are supposed to have is very reflective of the unity and the love that we see within the Trinity, within the Godhead. The Father loves the Son. The, lo the Son loves the Father. You have the Spirit doing the work of the father and going and doing work for the son. We see all of these things happening. And again, the church is a representation of this. People, people see this and people understand this. As I was 
going through this, I, I want to read this quote. This is from John Stott in his, in his commentary, and I, I thought this was helpful. As we get to the end of verses four through six, he says, we are now in a position to repeat the three affirmations, but this time the other way around in an order in which the persons of the Trinity are normally mentioned. He said, first, the one father creates the one family. Secondly, the one Lord Jesus creates the one faith, hope, and baptism. Thirdly, the one spirit creates the one body. Indeed, we can go further. We must assert that there can be only one Christian family, only one Christian faith, hope, and baptism, and only one Christian body because there is only one God. Is there only one God? Then he has only one church. Is the unity of God inviolable? Then so is the unity of the church. The unity of the church is as indestructible as the unity of God himself. It is no more possible to split the church than it is possible to split the Godhead. Sadly, I've been a part of church splits. I've seen it happen. It's been interesting to me as I try to understand the history of our church more and more. I realize almost every Southern Baptist church has come from us. We've had lots of little Southern Baptist babies that go off in different ways. Some for good, some as in sending, and we praised it. Some we called church splits that became other churches. I'm thankful to realize that there's really no such thing as a church split. The body of Christ cannot be disassembled, cannot be separated. Oh, listen, we as people mess things up all the time. We do. We struggle with it. We, we don't always know how to handle it. And sometimes the way that we handle it is we say we have to split I gotta get out of here. I can't stand you anymore. Well, we need to seek forgiveness of that. Or we, we do need to seek God to show us our heart and say, God, maybe I didn't show humility like I should. Maybe I wasn't as gentle as I should. Maybe I didn't bear each other's burdens like I have been called to do. But we need to rest in the fact that we cannot split the church because we haven't put it together. We haven't put it together. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church 85 years. It's a long time. We stand on the shoulders of a lot of great people who did a lot of great things. There's some amazing stories of things that God has done through people here in Monroe for our church, for our church family. There's so many families who made so many sacrifices, so many sacrifices so that Monroe Missionary Baptist Church could, could keep going and and to remain faithful to the Lord. There's so many, many good, good things. And, and we're thankful for them. But again, it's not even about them. It's what God has brought together. It's the work that God does in the lives of people. And we cannot stop that. We cannot stop the word of God but we should stand amazed in the fact that God allows us to be a part of this body and be a part of the work. To be a part of the work, to be able to tell other people, listen, there is actually a sure hope in this world. To be able to tell a world, there actually is something called truth. There actually is a standard that we can stand on and his name is Jesus. And he's given us his word. 
We have the privilege to be able to do that. And it's only because of the work that God has done for us. I hope that excites you. I I hope that that allows you maybe not to feel burnt out. To think that God, the creator of all things, would allow you to be a part of his family. And not just you as like the weird cousin. You as somebody with a purpose. You as somebody with a point, a calling that he has given you to be faithful to him. I'm thankful that it's God that brings us together. I'm thankful for this reminder. Maybe this message has nothing to do with you, but I know that this week it's had a lot to do with me. A lot to do with me. Because I, like everybody else, gets frustrated, hears things, wants to react. And I, like everybody else, can have the highs and I can have the lows. And I'm thankful for when God's word centers me where I should be and it's on him. Tim, this isn't about you. It's about me. It's about what I'm doing. And I don't stop, right? God's like, I don't stop working. I will accomplish my tasks. So I'm thankful that God has brought us together. I pray for unity in our church family, but I pray that it's centered again, not on some task, not on some social thing, but that the reason we are centered is we are centered on the one God that we serve together. The one hope, the one body, the one spirit, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism that he has given us. Let that be our center at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. And if we do that, if we are faithful to keep doing that, God will be faithful to us as well. Let's bow together and pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the unity that you do bring here and how often I feel that and sense that and get to live that out and experience that from different members in the church. God, I I pray that you would help us to stay centered on Christ. It's like it says in the gospel and the, the song that we sing growing up, but the wise man builds his house upon the rock. And so God, I pray that we would stay that way. Help us not to lose focus of the rock, which is you. God, help us to give all of our worship to you. Help us to give our mental capacities to you. God, help us to honor you as Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to work in our lives. God, I pray for those here this morning who don't know you. They are blind to the truth, God, and only you can open their eyes. I, I pray that you would do that. Maybe, maybe through this message, you've done that. God, I pray by faith they would respond to you. God, as we sing this last song here in a moment, I, I pray that we worshipful to you. God, thank you that our unity is on you. Help it to stay that way. Help it to be secure there. Help us to not lose focus of that because God, we know that as we lose focus of that, things can go off. So God, just help us with that. Thank you that you're a good father to us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've forgiven us of our sins and that we can understand that when we go to you with sins that we have seen in our life, you're there to continue to forgive us. 
God, thank you for that. God, be with us now as we worship you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, sing together, please. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.